On today's episode, I'm joined by an incredible person. She is an actress, an advocate, an author. Her name is Diane Guerrero. You may know her from Orange is the New Black or her incredible book, In the Country We Love, My Family Divided. She is about to help blow our minds and really open up our senses to a experience that so many Americans face that we don't hear about and the perspective and the importance of what Diane is sharing is really beyond any intro that I can give this. So without any further ado, here we go with our gorgeous conversation on how we can be better allies to our undocumented American family members with Diane Guerrero. I was so nervous at the Emmys this year. Like, oh, I yeah. like last year I wasn't as much. And this year I was like, I was just like edgy. <laughs> you look great. Thank you. And I saw, I, I saw you and I go, oh my God, it was so great to see you because I felt like, I I went and I get scared at those events and I, I do the red carpet and then I hate myself because I'm like, where was your confidence, bitch? You know, and I'm just like, where, where? And then I just try to like look for people that I know and I didn't know you, but I know that I was doing this oh. podcast. I was like, hello. I like that. Honestly, coming up to you was like so hard for me. Yeah, like, I'm so I have glad like you did. anxiety. Yeah. I have really intense anxiety around like certain issues. Or certain things for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, but wait, let's start. Okay. okay, you ready? But I hope we recorded that because that was really cute. But if we didn't, it's okay, I'll get over it. But okay, we did okay, because that was really cute. <laughs> okay, and, um, and like, dang, Guerrero. Yes. Okay, nailed it. Okay, yeah, right. nailed okay, it. Right. Okay, right. Uh, welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness, and I'm so excited to welcome um, a guest that I've been watching for on telly for years and I just look up to you so much and I love your work so much and I'm just so excited to talk to you so welcome to the studio Diane Guerrero from Orange is the New Black and Jane the Virgin which we double love um but I think that like because we know about your about you on Orange is the New Black Mm -hmm. and we know your character but I think a lot of people don't know your activism side Mm -hmm. and just your gorgeous origin story. Yeah. So you were born in New Jersey. That's right. Which is, I have got to spend more time in the last couple of years than I've ever really gotten to before. I bet. And she's, she's, a, she's a gorgeous, she's the garden state. She really is. And I honestly, I love New Jersey. I think people crap on it a lot, and especially people from New York, uh, or people who just have heard that kind of negative rhetoric about a certain state. And that's why we go into these places and we humanize them and we share stories. And that's exactly what we're doing. I love New Jersey and it has so much to offer. It's so, it really is so green. Yeah. I've driven through it from Super lush. from New York to Philly like 18,000 times in yeah. the last 10 weeks because I was shooting in Philly but living in New York. Yeah. And it's a just a beautiful green state. And also the people in New Jersey are incredible people. Yes, they are. So, I mean, you are have really navigated Hollywood, honey. Like, congratulations. You're part of this, like, <laughs> incredible show and you have an incredible career. How did that happen? How did you go from this girl born in New Jersey uh-huh. to this girl? Um, my goodness. It's well, a big question. It is a big question, but I'm, I'm happy to answer it. I mean, I think that I always... I mean, I, I was born in Jersey, but I was I was raised in Boston, Massachusetts. And so I was around a lot of academia. And <laughs> it sounds like macadamia. Um, academia. Um, and so I always... The the arts were always a big part of my life. I went to a performance arts high school, so that we were like the fame of Boston. Oh, I love that. Oh, I know. It was really cute, and everybody was really expressive, and people could be themselves, and we learned about a bunch of different philosophies and how they pertain to your the art that you were pursuing. So I was perfor- pursuing music at the time, um, but I, I, I think— 
you know, one time I, I, I went, I took this class, uh, an acting class, and, and I had mentioned that I like to sing or that I like music. And somebody said, sing. And I said, no, I don't do that anymore. And the 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 professor there or the, the um, coach there said, you are an artist and that means you can do anything regarding art, any kind of art you can do. And that is a part of you. And that really changed me and, and it made me pursue really any kind of art that I wanted, that I wanted to. And I think that I'm still sort of open to pursuing different forms of art, um, to this day. So I, I kind of, I, I started acting and, and wanting to, to pursue that a little more. And I just wanted to tell stories and to represent kind of a little bit about what I had lived, um, and what I had seen in my fantasies and in my real life. What was your fantasies? Being like a little girl in Boston, <laughs> being part of this like performing arts school. Like, did you see yourself being like on TV and being like, yeah. was that your fantasy? Uh, yeah, I wanted to be, I just, I wanted to show all of the emotions that I had inside me. I was always a very emotive child and I always, I was very empathetic um, towards a lot of people and people who were struggling, people who had, who came from different backgrounds or because I felt that way. I felt sort of othered at growing up um, just because my, my parents were immigrants and we were in a predominantly immigrant community. And so I, I grew up with a lot of kids making fun of my parents or um, speaking Spanish or, you know, they would call us like wetbacks. Uh, <laughs> you know? So growing up in Boston <laughs> yeah. and like in our era, because I feel like we're in similar age boxes. Yeah. So in our era of growing up, like you faced like xenophobic like racism in Boston oh, yeah. just being like the child of immigrants oh, and for sure yeah so what I what I had inside was but I wanted I think that's to show really you, important yeah. to like I feel like people like, like so people like that might be like okay but there's like I feel like people in the middle of America yeah. like like my family friends of my family wouldn't realize that someone like you mm-hmm faced bullying and xenophobia and like racism. Yeah. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily think that like some, like that people face this like literal racism in America. But just so you know, like it really, it goes on now. It does go on now. And, and, and it's even, it's worse than when you're poor or living in, in lower income communities because you're getting that sort of discrimination, not only by people who have more than you, but also people who are also discriminated against. Um, and that's sort of the way we're, we're taught, right? Is that if, if we go after another group, then that will kind of lessen the heat on you. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we grew up with is like making fun of the person who you can make fun of and to sort of take the heat off of you. Um, but but I, w- I really wanted to show that I was fucking Barbara Streisand uh, inside. You know, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, I know my parents are immigrants and I know that I'm brown, but I have so much to give, you know, and I and I shared so much of of of, I guess, that American dream, if you will, sort of like that that mixture of I, I could understand Spanish and spoke Spanish and, and embrace my family's culture because ne- I was never ashamed of them. But I also embrace embrace my American culture, which I was very much a part of. I mean, I, I watched Full House. I watched Saved by the Bell. I was there for all of it. Um, and I just wanted to show that I belong too. And that that I'm that I was just as American or just as normal uh, as, as anybody else. That feeling of just like wanting to be seen as normal and uh-huh. accepted by our peers is like been 
a driving like need and desire I know for me. And, and I mean, I've all othered in different ways, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I just, I, I hear you. And like, yes, like I, I, but I think the older I get, the more I'm like, what is normal anyway? Oh, totally. And she's oh, like, now and I'm she's just like, like, yeah, but it's like, it's just like, I wish someone could have like, let us know, like we were just minding our own business, like being like thriving little babies, like trying to figure out our way in the world. Absolutely. And that normal is actually boring and actually does not exist. It actually literally doesn't. It doesn't exist. But why didn't we know? We just didn't know. So <laughs> if you don't know by now, just to give, you know, name to a face on Orange is a New Black, you played the character Maritza Ramos, who your best friend is the the girl with the fringe Flaca. it's Flaca, yes and your baby podcast or not the podcast the the show that you guys do on this show was yeah. called what was it called you're like like because like because like you guys like co-hosting oh like, yeah we were just like bloggers I don't think we had like an actual I name like, but it turned into a podcast kind of on the I the, wasn't part of that podcast. because she was like no because you guys like you you we had separated. yes you had yeah you had you had combating energies as hosts no, no, that was her and um and Adrian Moore's character, uh, Black Cindy. Yes, yes, that was a season that I went off to go do like a multicam because I wanted to be on TV Land. Oh my god! <laughs> no, I wanted to be. I was like on CBS, um, but I wanted. I went off to do like a like a kind of old school multicam with Judd Hirsch and Katie Segal, and it was just like all you know, comedy, um, kind of slapstick comedy. So you weren't in that season, but really I wasn't guys, in that season, no. But in the beginning of that storyline, didn't weren't you gonna host it with her and then you guys had a fight? Why am I hallucinating that in my mind? I don't even know. I binge watched that like a, like I mean that season was like three season years ago. Six? Season six. I wasn't part of season six. And that was like because so this season season was, five was like us doing the makeup tutorial, then like shit went hit the fan because yeah, because that was the three days. So season six is the one that takes place over like three days. Or like season five. Days. That was a really good. They're all really such good. They're seasons. all really cute. Yeah, they're all really good, especially this last one. Oh my, it was really. You can't. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Well, I guess I was gonna do this thing where I was gonna like wait until we got to a point to talk about Orange is the New Black so yeah. that people could be like just fast forward through these seven minutes if they haven't seen the last season. But I guess we did kind of arrive here organically, right? But so, okay, but I want to go right into the last season. Where, okay, so wait. So pre-Orange is the New Black, yes. you're minding your own business living in... Uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Still? Still. Right before Orange is the New Black. Oh, no, no. Right before Orange is the New Black. Okay, so after, like, um, I, I went to school for political science, so I didn't even pursue the arts. I went to an all-women's college, like, Catholic college, because I was, like, all... My... I was just in this kind of world where I felt like I needed to be practical because I was like, hey, I am a brown woman. I have nothing. I have no money. I have no backup, no support. So that means I have to do something practical if I want to get ahead. And this means going to a school where there's no uh, male energy and I can just focus and I can be with women. And also I can be under the watchful eye of these nuns that were teaching at the school. Um, <laughs> so I went there. I almost went crazy. As you can imagine, someone would, if they went to a, a school where like nuns were teaching. Them. So you're 18. I'm 18. And you decide to go to an all women's Catholic, co Catholic college. <laughs> yes. Now, when you said right before, you're like, I'm, a young brown woman. I have no support. I need to do something practical. Can you like expound upon that on like what made your decision to that different than like, say like any counterparts that you were in high school when they were deciding on like when they were like where they were going right. to go to college? Well, I, so at this time I was 18 or I was 17 
about to turn 18. And at 14, I had experienced my family separating because of deportation. So my family, uh, both my parents were undocumented. And so when I was 14, this is like I was a freshman in high school. I came home and they were gone. And so I had to act fast. So for those four years of high school, I stayed with friends. Um, Their parents took me in and they trusted me and my parents to – um, to kind of, uh, my parents to parent me from, uh, from abroad and, and them just to be sort of a vessel for me to a safe haven, if you will. So you literally come home from school yeah, and like the front door is just like, like closed, it's, but unlocked. It's like wide open. My parents' cars are in front. My, um, my, my parent, my mom had started dinner. Like this is how kids come home to finding the parents are missing. Is that it? It can happen at any moment. This is the kind of fear that I grew up with and a lot of kids are growing up with these days is um, if they have a mixed status family, if their parents are going to be there one day or not be there. Was that something that like they – like it's you grew up knowing that that was something that was like a potential. Yeah, I knew that that it was that it was a potential and and so that created a lot of anxiety in my life. But you always hope – uh, and if you grew up like me, pray <laughs> that it doesn't happen. Um, but it did. And it, and it totally changed my perspective as far as what I could and could not achieve. And so that little girl that once had this dream of being Barbara Streisand or singing or actually having options, that kind of diminished a bit. And so me saying I had no support, that meant my parents weren't really there helping me apply to schools. My parents really weren't there. If I didn't have any money, like I couldn't fall back uh, for their, with their, with their help. And so I decided I needed to go to school for political science and hopefully try to, um, I don't know what I wanted to do. What they don't tell you is that practicality means shit, right? Because whether you, it, it me, you have to be passionate and you, and you need the support regardless, whether you're doing anything like nursing or, dance or or singing or anything like that. So you you need that support regardless. And so I get to school. Thank God. I didn't even know how I got that. And that you had that wherewithal (laughs) at that age to be like, all right, let me just like not be around no dick. Because I know Dick made me make Honey, some foolish Dick decisions. Dick made me 17, crazy. 18, I, I could not be trusted with no dick. I couldn't either. So that was so good that you just knew how to like, I knew. You know, I was like, I can't do this. You were so smart, yeah, I girl. I was like, no, I can't do the whole, uh, uh, what, what movies, did, I, I can't, you know, I'm not I'm not in Clueless or whatever. Like, I can't go and like just be co-ed and like happy-go-lucky. I'm like, if there is a dick in my way, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't like, know what will happen. I mean, we've had a little bit of, like on getting curious, we yeah. were just talking about like I can't remember who we were, t- but it's like the the right to dream. Mm-hmm. Like it's that is like a fundamental American right is like the right to dream, and when that is taken away from people, yeah. and like how you just said that, like I mean, I didn't even like discuss that with you like beforehand or shit, but it's like that is what people in power are taking away from people is like the right to dream and, and oh, so at such a young age and and they do they do it to kids at such a young age and that is sort of in my opinion uh sort of a formula to sort of keep the status quo right the first thing that you do is deny children rights to education deny them health care deny them a right to dream it was the acting president of planned parenthood and she was telling mm-hmm. us that when people 
when people try to control people's access to reproductive health care, mm-hmm. they can by proxy be controlling that person's right to dream. Because when you are forcing someone to bring a, a person into the world that they are not ready for, don't want to, whatever, the, all the dreams that that person had like before they you know, were pregnant, like have to be, can't be there anymore if they are forced to have this baby in this particular way. Right. It has such a psychological effect on your progress and and everything that you do thereafter because it affects the opportunities that you're going to go for. It affects you taking a chance on yourself. It affects you loving yourself, which loving yourself has so much to do with your success. And we've seen that when you are depressed, when you are not taking care of your mental health. And we've, we, we've seen it. People do, people do not go to places where they need to go um, because they're sort of stunted. Um, and when, when they tell you, no, you can't have your parents here because we think less of you. No, you can't really, this is not an option for you. Um, then, then you're, then you're starting off a little wonky and uh, you are, I think more prone to failure. And I experienced that um, very early on because I basically went crazy and was, not crazy, but I I, di- I did have a lot of mental health issues that I that weren't addressed, and I eventually was very suicidal, and which was actually what got me to acting in the first place because I was in such a dark place, um, and I, I mentioned this in my book. So uh, I wrote, I wrote a book in 2016 called In the Country We Love, and it's all about my family's experience with the immigration system and also my journey as a young girl to finally getting a job on Orange is the New Black and having my entire life change um, that, that through, through the darkness and through the most awful things in your life can also grow the most beautiful things. If you just give yourself a moment, if you just reach out for help, if you uh, go and, and share your story with someone, there is power to that. And so I did. I did it in a form. I went to a therapist and she said, these are some of the things I need you to do. I need you to every day say an affirmation, something really nice about yourself so that you can change this awful mentality that you have for yourself. And then I need you to go take acting classes or painting classes or whatever the fuck you need to do to make yourself feel worthy again. And I did. And then I moved to New York and then I passed out my fake resume to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I love a clutch fake resume. We're going to be back with more Getting Curious right after the break. Welcome back to Getting Curious. We ha- have me, who is fully crying, and we have Diane Guerrero, star of Orange is the New Black, and Jane the Virgin, and author, activist, advocate, sharing your gorgeous story. Could not agree more um, about turning some of the darkest times in our life into growing some of like the seeds that bear like the most you know gorgeous fruit where you can really like find your purpose. And mm-hmm. wow. Um, wow. So... Where were we? We were. Um, oh, uh, when so I, you moved to New York. When I moved to New York, and I gave myself that that chance because at that point, when I had faced literally thinking I don't deserve to live anymore because whatever this is, whatever this is, whatever I've taught myself to want is not what I want. I want something that is so impossible. And what no one told me was that it's okay to want things that seem impossible, and it's okay to go after them and fail or 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 succeed 
right? I, I didn't know what, what that was. I never gave myself the opportunity to say, if I go for something that seems hard, that's okay. There are so many things along the way that are going to inform what I really want to do and, and my place in what I want to do. Um, and I found that. I found that by just simply giving myself the opportunity, by just saying yes to my, I feel like I'm promoting a book that says, just say yes to yourself. <laughs> um, but isn't that kind of, I mean. But really, it's kind of that simple. Yeah. And you either get it or you don't, or you'll figure it out, but not giving yourself the opportunity because, because you think that you don't deserve it or because your parents were undocumented or because you're gay or because you're straight or because of whatever it is, isn't a good enough reason not to say yes to yourself. You're going to really fuck me up today, Queen. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, so, okay. So you find yourself on Orange is the New Black or at the auditions for it. Yeah. And you're in New York and that's where the first audition was? So I went to New York and I had been auditioning. Uh, with for, your gorgeous fake resume. With my fake ass resume. And it was so funny because I was like, um, I can juggle. I, I honestly put down cutting a rug as one of my skills, which was like looking really good at like yeah. on the dance floor. I was like, okay. I put in lacrosse. I played like three years of like terrible lacrosse. You were like the original Lori Laughlin. It was terrible. It was, t- I was like ma- just making but an actual lacrosse player? I played lacrosse, but it was terrible. I was like midfield, sure, I ran the... But at least you weren't like... But you didn't just like go to the pictures and then never go to practice. Like no, you no, were no. actually on the team. No, I was on the team. Okay, great. I was on, so, yeah, yeah. so it wasn't like a for pre-college the, admission for the record, scandal. Yes, yeah, yes. Oh, no, yeah. No, yes, it wasn't yes, like I played lacrosse. I'm fully and I, joking. I yeah. know. You like, you back it up, girl. No, no, no. You back it up I played, all the way. I maybe wasn't the best player, yes. but I played. Maybe I was like a four-year JV person, but honey, I never gave up. Exactly. I never gave up. Exactly. Oh, my God. That That's so funny that you mentioned all all of uh, the Lori Laughlin thing because not that I want to like spend our segment talking about that, but that's the kind of behavior that's the kind of stuff that like us kids who are going through this process don't know that goes on. Like we don't know about all this sort of like under the table stuff. And like, we think that it's honestly based on actual merit and actual and based on, on how smart you are or how, how like, precious you are or how like important you are and it's not yeah and that of course you learn through I learned that through auditioning I learned that through going to New York and having terrible auditions and have them sort of work out and having the best of auditions where I thought that I was right for the part that had nothing to do with whether I was right or not um so that's why you just I I, I've learned that you just kind of have to fucking go for everything and just see See if something works for you or speaks to you or if if that if that's a good connection with someone else. It's just not at all putting any barriers for yourself because there are enough systemic barriers around to last you a lifetime. So don't put any on yourself. And that's what I realized when I went out and passed out my little fake resume and 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 then I would b- actually build um uh, stuff when I actually gave when I when I went to things that I thought well this doesn't seem great but I can learn something from it and, and then I, you actually got a real resume and then I actually got a real resume and I got on Orange is New Black audition was like come looking like you rolled out of bed and, and you did and I did it was great it was liberating and so what was that like for you because I mean I remember the first season of Orange is the New Black and like I like I binged that shit so fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. And I think that Orange is the New Black and like House of Cards were two of the first shows on Netflix that really like set that like Netflix mm-hmm. standard of like original in-house content that was just like 
what is like it was just so good. Yeah. But like you and like you're okay, so this is the part where well, I kind of want to go from the beginning now. Go ahead. Okay, so you started it because I haven't like because I actually I re I binge all the seasons like when they first come out and I should have rebinged it, but mm-hmm. like bitch has been busy and stuff. Yeah, so oh like my God, of you came into Orange is the New Black in season one. one. Yeah, episode two. Episode two. <laughs> yeah. And you were there, all of them, except for the one where you did the multi-cam, which I didn't really realize until <laughs> you just said. Yeah. So then what was that? So what was, I mean, obviously I know how it is like when you're on a show and you gotta like, so it was like, you just were like, oh my God, this has been really fun for these like, for, like five scenes, but my, but I actually, these people want to do this like multi-cam. So like, can she, can, can, can my, can my girl just like, please go do like something yeah. else on the show so that I can go do this other thing, but I want to come back. Like, is I just, you had to like do a thing with the producers to be like, mommy wants to do a multi-cam. Like, how do I do it? Well, I actually like very early on, um, understood that I had to spread my wings in whichever way that I, that I could. Um, and so I started like auditioning like crazy. Like I got, I got Orange is New Black first season. That was great, but I was still a recur. Second season came around. I was still a recur. So like, I was never offered a season, a series And like, this is a series regular. You know what I mean? Like, so I was always just like, this is a wonderful job and I, I love everything that it's given me, but I want to go and see if I can give more of myself over here. Um, and actually, that's the the time that I got um, Jane the Virgin. So I actually got Jane the Virgin while I got Orange is the New Black and I was doing two recurs on that show, oh. um, which really expanded um, my horizons and and kind of got networks to sort of see me um, because at the time, you know, anybody from Netflix, they were just doing Netflix and it wasn't really crossing over to like network TV. That was at the time where network TV thought that, it could, that nothing could ever take them down. Yeah. Uh, we saw it differently. Um, but, but I, I was always just trying to, to, to go for different parts that kind of showed me in different lights because I had, again, so much to give. Um, so I did Jane the Virgin while I was doing Orange, and then I just kept on auditioning. I got a few pilots that didn't go anywhere, so I would always go right back to Orange is New Black, which was for me something that's why orange means so much to me because they were actually my home. Like any time that something wouldn't work out, they were so ready to to take me back and say, of course we have a home for you. Season three, season four, season five. Um, but at that point I wasn't ready to accept uh, a series regular because I knew that I could do uh, Orange is the New Black and something else if I wanted, and 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 they gave me that opportunity. I love that. Yeah, they gave you like they gave you like the the space for you to be abundant. Yes, yeah, which I love. Yeah, me too. So, but or so you when you started in season one, that was two thousand and thirteen. Thirteen. I'll say thirteen. Yeah, thirteen. Because <clears throat> I think that's interesting in the sense that you have been on this show in in a. In a time where, like, our political environment has shifted greatly, mm-hmm. a TV environment has shifted greatly. But I would imagine that it is – okay, so I have a book that's coming out. Um, and oh, congratulations. I, it, I come out about all sorts of kind of intense – just stuff that I've kind of went through. And one of those things – I'm not trying to, like, lay this on you right now, but one of them is that I'm HIV positive. Okay. And so for me, having this kind of public platform and, like, when George H.W. Bush died and everyone was like, oh, my God, like – you know, he was this amazing president. I was like, actually, he kind of like was the vice president to a president who like didn't do anything in the face of HIV AIDS and kind of like right. further stigmatized it. And like, sure. really, like it was a really problematic relationship that he had to like this community. And like, it, it was like very hard for me to like to hear people talk about him 
and to see what is happening like within the HIV positive community because there's just a lot of attack on science and funding mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stigmatization that's like really being like ramped up like as we speak like under this administration. And so for you, like you've had this platform and you, I just would imagine that it would be really super fucking difficult for you having like been through what you've been through and like seeing what this country is doing now. Like, how has that been for your baby heart? <laughs> well, well, that, that, I think that. Uh, I, I mean, cause you're certainly doing a lot about, it. I mean, you've written a book, you're an activist, like you're doing the most for right. it, but like, how is it for you just like processing? I mean, I think that a way that I have dealt with with my pain, um, obviously there were other ways that I dealt with it before that really weren't working and weren't helping. And that that was mainly keeping what I had went through a secret and just keeping it all to myself and try to go and walk around life uh, pretending that I was someone else, someone that hadn't been affected. When there are so there when there are millions of people being affected by this, and the best thing that you can do for yourself in this situation is find allies and find people who are also going through this so that you won't have to be alone. And so the way that I dealt with my pain, and especially around this time with Orange is New Black, Orange is New Black happened to me and I was beginning to experience uh, being interviewed, being um, people having an interest in me and wanting to know about me. And I couldn't be happy in that. And I couldn't excel um, after that if I wasn't honest about what had happened, if I wasn't talking about the things that I think truly matter. I think that families belong together. I feel like... Um, there is a great need for immigration reform and social justice and equality in this country and in this world. And I wasn't being, I wasn't able to talk about those things because I hadn't been yet honest. Um, and so part of my way to heal myself was to be honest and talk about this story out loud in the way that I did. And then everything that came afterwards, the activism, the organizations that wanted to work with me, Orange is New Black supporting me and also trying to share my story, that came all after. And it only took me taking a chance on speaking the truth. And it was so liberating and and life-changing that I don't think I could be anything else other than what I am now. And and if I go back, I, I would never do anything differently. I'm going to take a really quick break. Okay. We'll be right back with more uh, with Diane and myself right after this. Welcome back to Getting Curious. <clears throat> this is Jonathan Van Ness. So, wow, very much. Uh, I feel like you've said a couple things that I really um, just identify with so much. One of them at the beginning was like when you, the art teacher that taught you, like, you know, if you're an artist, like you get to touch all the art that touch. Like, yeah. I feel so much like that. Um, there's just so much like, wow. And then the other thing is with what you were just saying to, in speaking in, in your family's experience and having the courage to speak about, you know, what happened to you so that you can like speak your truth to power <clears throat> yeah, is so strong and so courageous. I, I think part of what I was asking before about like just the time from Orange is the New Black started to now, it's like in 2013, 14, 15, is there, did 
I didn't see this path of like xenophobia mm-hmm. and general casual racism and like the rise of like white supremacy with these fucking shooters. Like, right. I guess I didn't see that in the cards in 2013. Right, right, right. Yeah, you, we, we kind of saw, because any time around that time, I think, that we tried to speak about racism or inequality in this country, you would get shut down so fast. What are you talking about? We gave you this. Don't pull out the race card. We, look at all the strides you're making. Like, what do you, no one was allowed to talk about their own experiences. And how does that happen? By the lack of representation on television and in media or in film, right? We didn't we didn't have any of that. Nobody was allowed to share their stories. Nobody was writing about these things. As soon as um, the platform for media changed and the landscape expanded, we have more people sharing, more people sharing. And then people who do not want pe- those people to share growing angrier and angrier and angrier. And this is sort of the bubble that you, uh, that sort of exploded in 2016 when you saw uh, uh, Donald Trump running for president. And that's when shit hit the fan and people were like super open about airing their grievances with people who were liberal and, and, or democratic or what, whatever it was, whatever side you were on. But if you were, if you were way too, uh, idealistic or anything like that, that was being shot down. When I was in college, when I talked about equality and justice for all, these kids would chew me up. When I was could, this? This was, uh, see, <clears throat> I graduated oh, 08. Um, and so during this time, there weren't any conversations about immigration reform. There wasn't even, I mean, I hadn't even thought about sharing my story because. Because when you were 14, was that Bush 2? That was Bush 2. Yeah, yeah. That and actually, and, and I know this is like unpopular and like I'm, we might have to like edit this out, but it is, a, I think that this is like a fact. I'm pretty sure I've like read this. Like from Bush 2 to Obama, there was actually more deportations under the yeah. Obama administration. Yeah, yeah. And part of why he, I think this is true, increase the deportations was actually a way for him to like appease the conservatives because he was like, look, you can't say that I'm soft on security and soft on whatever because I am enforcing this whole thing. Right. But I think that's part of what's interesting. And I just like wrote down with like life versus art, life imitating art and your story in Orange is the New Black. And not only like your character story, but just the way that like we talk about mass incarceration and mm-hmm. the way that Orange is the New Black kind of really shed a light on like the for profit nature of mass incarceration Uh, and how it is this like huge like very corrupt business and it's really not about making anyone safer and it's it's really about money and and it's like for every butt that's in one of those beds it's like x amount of dollars a year for sure and then there's these people who are just getting really really rich and really we're criminalizing like mental health Mm -hmm. drug addiction Mm -hmm. uh poorness like i feel like we also criminalize Porn, porn and, and 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 sex work and and everything that people uh, indulge in and and enjoy. Obviously, this is a way um, we instead of having actual conversations about uh, it or or actually uh, giving rights to people who deserve who, actual workers uh, who who deserve rights. We what we do is we criminalize it so that we can so that people can profit off of those bodies. Um, and I, I think going back to, to the Obama administration and why and and thinking about the Bush administration and all the harm that I guess both administrations did, I it's it, the Obama administration really had a 
it, it was difficult for them to do anything. The Obama administration actually did try to pass comprehensive immigration reform. He did try to enact um, and use his executive power uh, to keep parents here and uh, and enact uh, DAPA, which was an extension of DACA. Um, oh, and that would have been for parents? That would have been for parents who were here with uh, U.S. citizen kids. And there were bills that were that were tried to— That McConnell just, like, killed. That, yeah, that the Because after that 2010, Senate, we lost. Because in yeah. 2008 to 10, you did have Nancy Pelosi, and we did have Harry—or Harry yeah. Reid, Henry yeah. Harry Reid. And then after 10, we, like—because we also— with sister district on this podcast like that was the largest loss of like democratically elected or yeah. like democrats we lost a thousand seats in the midterm election of 2010 because yeah. that was like with the tea party coming in yeah the deportation machine though had been choo-chooing like for a long time in 1996 they enacted these terrible terrible immigration laws that actually set up the immigration landscape as we know it today and trump has been able to exacerbate these can you tell us like laws. what I, I don't know so, what they are so in 1996, and I won't get because when I think 96, all I think is like Magnificent Seven, Shannon Miller, who we've also had on this podcast, not to keep name dropping, but right, honey, right, right. like for a Midwestern kid who's obsessed with gymnastics, like right. that was a great gymnastics sure. year. But I need to Absolutely. know. Absolutely, I, I need to fucking I know. know. But I need to know what was really going on. Why we were like nine? So yes, yeah, so there was these awful laws that um, did did really awful things for the for the immigration landscape, which were uh, to uh, increase the privatization of detention centers, increase detention, and weaken due process and criminalize uh, crossing the border, right? Or criminalize uh, entry. And so these things really hurt the immigrant community because after you you are, most most entries are going to be illegal or over and overstaying a visa is going to be illegal. So it's so hard for people to come back from this and actually apply for citizenship and, 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 and get anywhere with, with it, right? So uh, th- these were things that were expanded on even now. So that's why you see um, due process uh, weekend. People go and they don't they're not able to exercise certain rights because we do have certain rights under the Constitution, whether you are documented or undocumented. So those are weekend Um and then you have uh, this country exercising uh, incarceration for a little, like a sneeze. Right. And, and so, and so, and then here's where you see the problem is that these people are filling up these beds. Well, because people are it, making more money and nothing is changing. Because like, so is that like the whole thing of like where after 96, like, let's say that you're undocumented and you get pulled over for like, uh, like mm-hmm. a, driving under the influence. Like it's not, but you're not like, you didn't blow like a point two. Like, right. let's say you blew like a point oh, like a point oh four. So you're not, you That's wouldn't even crim- get a it's DUI. A criminal offense. It's a criminal yeah, offense. You wouldn't get a DUI. Like if you were documented, no. like, it, but like, it's like, cause again, it's like point oh four. You're not like at the point oh right. eight. Right. So it's like, but yeah, like just it's, any little thing, jaywalking, smoking a jay, whatever it is, things that are super decriminalized now for for white any for, or, or citizens, <laughs> right, for citizens. But yes, white people, um, these are the criminalized reason, in immigration court. The reason that the white person thing is really important to mention here, though, is because. Like, statistically, like, we know this from New York City, like, if you had three white people smoking a joint on a stoop and three Latino people smoking a joint on the stoop, the likelihood of the th- of the three Latino people to get stopped and questioned by the police or just fucked with because they're smoking sure. a joint is, like, way, way higher, higher than, like, the three counter. Than, way higher. And we also, I mean, this is, like, kind of off the subject, but, like, I, I feel like I've seen several news stories in this last year where you had an American citizen who was of Latino or Latin, ex-Latin, you know, dis- descendant ethnicity, whatever. 
whatever, yeah. and was detained for like multiple months. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see that when uh, the kinds of bail that is set for for folks of color as opposed to to white folk, it's 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 really their discrepancy is huge, and that's what we need to talk about. And that's when we say when when we talk about checking your privilege and understanding that because you are of lighter skin, we still have colorism that that dominates uh, this country and the world, right? And we have to understand that um, that you are going to have certain privileges and benefits based on your skin color. And that's something that we need to really talk about and and uh, consider when we're trying to just label anyone as a criminal. So in 2016, you write, in the, love, in the country we love, my family divided. And you would, I'm guessing, had been thinking about this book and writing this book over like the, the couple of years previously as you're working on Orange is the New Black and mm-hmm. like doing Jane the Virgin and, and running around, correct? No. No? No, I was, I honestly. You wrote it like super fast? It was super fast. The whole thing happened fast because I, again, I, I think like the biggest moments in my life happen when I'm like super depressed and I have nowhere else to put my energy or nowhere else and, and, and like no other options other than to just come out with something super dope. Um, so I, th- I think that's, I think that's, has, has sort of been my MO is like taking a leap, uh, in something that's super scary, but it kind of always happens when I'm, I'm down to the wire and I'm boiling up. Um, I think that, uh, it, it happened during the, during right before the 2016 elections, and I'm starting to hear really negative rhetoric about my community, and I'm starting to audition um, for different things, and really not seeing the needle moving at all because I was I was on Orange Is the New Black, but I really wasn't seeing too much um, change in Hollywood or for the parts that I was kind of going after. So I really felt like, okay, this is my time. I have to say something about representation in media. And I absolutely have to talk about um, what's going on in politics because I, who am a daughter of immigrants who actually has experienced family separation, know way more about what an actual person goes through than some of these fucking politicians who are trying to like pander to us and tell us about our own experience. And so I honestly just did an op-ed. I met this woman at this, uh, at, there was, Co- remember Cosmo for Latinas? Yes. So there was an event, there, that that publication is no longer, but um, uh, there was an event where this woman was being honored and she was a young immigration lawyer, lawyer attorney. Uh, she was a young immigration attorney and she was doing like incredible things for her community. And I was so inspired by what she was doing. And she wasn't chasing fame. She wasn't chasing, uh, you know, uh, trying to get ahead in this business, nothing. And she just seemed so resolved. She just seemed like she had, I mean, I'm sure she, I mean, I, I know her, she's my very good friend and she has her own stuff going on. But she's very clear in her purpose. She was put here to help others. And that for her means the world. And I was trying, I was at the time where I was trying to find what, what was going to make me tick? What did I, what did I want? Diane, what do you want? Do you, you want to be an actress? You're an actress. You want, uh, you, you know, you want this or that. You want to buy yourself that. Okay, you can do it. So now what? Well, I want to finally come from a place of truth and I want to help others with my story and I want to help other people not feel so alone. So I went up to this woman and like word vomit. I was like, my parents were deported and I, I, I want to be like you. I just went up to her and said, I want to be like you. This woman is my age. And she goes, I can help you. What's going on? Write your story. 
<coughs> oh, I had to get out. Sorry, it was a little cough. Sorry, I was holding sorry. it for like 30 seconds. No, 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 sorry. don't hold it. Don't no. hold it. Don't hold it. And then I wrote this op-ed. It, it went, it was published and people went nuts. And I got all these calls like, you need to write a book. Da-da-da-da. All these people wanting to interview me. They were so like outraged by what had happened. Um, and that's kind of how I got launched into it. I was not prepared for it at all. So I guess that's kind of what I was saying with like the processing thing. It's like, so that happens. And then the next fucking year. Yeah, I, I released the book. And then Donald Trump is elected. And then, yes. And now we're seeing all these families being separated. Yeah. And well, now we're seeing asylum <laughs> seekers be, which was, um, we started seeing things that we had never seen before, even with the Obama administration, even with the Bush administration. Like separating families because of parents HIV positive now, which okay. is like a new thing. Okay. I see. I didn't know that. See, so. We just found that out in a public hearing that AOC was conducting. And, and and now we have found out that if a family comes across the border and, and a parent has um, retroviral HIV medication, they are separating them wow. because the parent is HIV positive, yeah. which is a non-community. I mean, it is if you're undetectable and you're on your pills, like you're not spread. It's it would be like, do right. you take the kid away if they have the flu? It's so if, fucking backwards. Like that's what they keep on doing, and it's like it's we're 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 going backwards. Obviously. So, but I guess what I was gonna say, that's what I was trying to say. It's like, isn't that re-traumatizing for you, knowing what these people are going through and knowing that these people impact? Like, and you shared your like, what do you do for people that are activists and? work so hard and then it's like I mean I, I think 2018 was a, um mm-hmm. that helps me sleep at night still like the midterms of 2018 oh my God, like for that it, last that's lasting I, I got a little juice left from that yeah absolutely me too it's giving yeah. me hope that 2020 will be so bad but I am just having a little bit of like nerves yeah um I was just interviewing Bill Nye just right before this and he was telling you know talking to me about climate change and it's like he's like you know hopefully like cooler heads are going to prevail like we're going to be better and I was like how do you stay so positive I'm, I'm like I'm like yes yeah, seriously Bill like, Nye has literally been talking about this like since the dinosaurs which is what we were fucking saying so it's but it's like it's like but it's like if you're still sitting here i mean you're bill nye and you're telling me like well i hope you know cooler heads are going to prevail i'm like i'm not convinced yeah like i'm fucking scared like it like things are see like it's like things are getting crazier and crazier i think that i think that when you sign up for whatever you're you signed up for right the being an activist isn't a seasonal thing or not the word activist, but being an advocate or being an ally for folks isn't a seasonal thing. It is lifelong. So if you don't keep a cool head and if you don't keep that mentality that things are going to change and there is work to be done, um, then then you have no business doing it because, the, you know, then what do you do? But it's what- like, how do you self-soothe in the face of this fucking bullshit? Other than getting trashed every weekend, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. So a little bit of comedy. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I I try to fill my life with positive people. Um, I'm I feel so protected now that I have shared and that people have welcomed me with open arms, and I have such an amazing community that is there for me. That's why I tell I. I tell my, I say my kids because I go to different universities and different high schools and I talk to kids who are either dreamers or going through family separation or afraid of family separation or, or just have an interest in politics or in advocacy work or in the arts um, is that you can't 
you, you have to, you have to align yourself with people who are doing great work. Um, because therefore you will be always sort of in the know and always doing great work right alongside them. And there's okay to take time for yourself and say, you know what, today I can't really do it. And that's what I do. I, sometimes I can't get out of bed because I, I suffer from depression and sometimes I just have to say, no, I'm not showing up for this or I'm not showing up for that. And that's okay. I know that tomorrow I'll wake up and everything that I've worked for isn't completely collapsed. Yeah. You know, and that's what you do when you surround yourself with a community that cares about you. Um, so even, even me coming here to this podcast, I saw a great benefit to me knowing you because I know you're doing so many great things in your community and, and doing so many, uh, positive things and, and, and driving change. I said, I'm also doing that. I'm going to align myself with Jonathan because I, I, I also, I, I want him to know that I'm an ally and I want him to be an ally for my community and for everything that I'm working. And that's how you build. That's how you build. Can we go just like a few more minutes? Just a few, do you have a few more minutes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Great ally. How can um, white people and citizens of the United States be better allies to our gorgeous um, undocumented family members yeah. or people that are maybe they're like were born in the United States, but they're going through family separation mm -hmm. due to deportation yeah. or maybe due to incarceration? Like, how can we be better allies for advocacy and for change? Well, first, let's stop incarcerating. Um, let, let, first, let's stop using incarceration as a form of a cure. That is not a cure. That is a disease. Incarceration is terrible and it will fucking kill us all. It is creating generations of fatherless and motherless children. It is creating people who are very lost and, and without any direction. That isn't fair. That's not okay to put on our children. What we need to do is support uh, bills and, and, and organizations and people who are fighting to uh, to decriminalize the system, decriminalize uh, people, to 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 get rid of the privatization of of prisons, we need to support organizations who are doing the work for that, so that families can stay together, um, and and just listen, listen to folks who are actually going through this, and then I, I would say the other thing is to educate yourselves, know your history. Just because my parents came in the 80s and your parents came in the Mayflower, don't make you better immigrants than us. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Regar regardless of when you came, everything has uh, a cause and effect. We were talking earlier about the destabilization of certain governments that the U.S. had a great part to do with in Honduras, in um, Guatemala, Guatemala and El Salvador. So th these are all places... We you have to understand that the U.S. has had a part in destabilizing a lot of different economies and a lot of different governments. And the reason why people are fleeing here now um, is because those places are unsafe to live. And what we're doing now is criminalizing asylum seekers. And that isn't right. Think about you think about if you were in that position with your child and you had to flee this country, you would do anything, anything you can or, or you could do to, to save your family. And that's what these people are going through. So just be a human for a second and think about your history. <clears throat> so I'm going to paraphrase from that a little bit. It's like <laughs> elections and like showing up 
for elections is so important. We got to interview Masha Gessen mm-hmm. earlier this year, who's an incredible LGBTQ activist. Um, but immigration is a queer issue. Yeah. It's an LGBTQ plus issue. Um, America was one of the only 12 countries, now it's even harder to do so, but it was one of the only countries where you could claim asylum on basis of gender identity or sexual orientation, mm-hmm. which is now being like really called into question by this administration. Mm-hmm. So it really is an issue of like equality, fairness, what the American dream fundamentally boils down to, which is like the ability to like dream the life, the pursuit of life, liberty and happiness. And um, I think that's really important. So it's like really like showing up for elections, showing up, knowing what your history is. Um, I I do have one little, is your mom and dad like, okay, now are we, are we, we're thriving? Everything one's okay. Like everyone's okay. Great. Like, that's like, so happy to hear like, namaste for that. Like love um, thriving fam. Um, and like, can't we just like get a great president in 2020 and then we'll just like apply for like a gorgeous green card and then everyone can come back, come back and we'll just get gorgeous houses. It'll be fine. Can they, can it be like family re- reunification? Can we like set up the visa system to work and to uh, work equally for everyone? And <clears throat> can we um, invest in, uh, in rehabilitation in, in, instead of continually incarcerating folks? If Republicans made like rehabilitation versus reincarceration, like a part of their like election strategy, yeah. I feel like they would be become more popular. Yeah. Could we let go a little bit of our fucking money so that so many others can thrive? Because it keeps me up at night knowing that there are so many hungry people out there. Like, how can you... Does it not keep certain people? How does it not keep certain people up? I feel so much guilt about, like, working day in and day out over, like, my whole life, and I still feel guilty about what I have. Why do these rich fucks not feel more guilty? Yes, they need to be feeling guilty so that we can be happy with the little bit of money that we have. They're working so goddamn hard to get. Damn it. Okay, so then... um. This is the last thing. Yeah. Um, for 2020, we obviously have like a very gorgeous field. I think I did realize who I'm going to endorse like last week. I oh. think I realized who I like. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, I, I do think I realized who I like. Is like, do you, I don't need to put that same pressure on you. Like, cause it's like, it's time. It's fine. Like, you can figure who you want. But like, do you have like a top three? Do you have a top five? Like, who are we really into right now? Yeah. Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Bernie. Um, I kind of liked that Julian this last time. Julian Castro? Fuck yes. hell yeah. Okay, okay let, me, let me just tell you who I love. I, I just love. didn't like it when he said that thing. That you, okay, I'm not a Joe Biden queen. I'm literally not a Joe I'm, Biden queen. I'm, I'm not a Joe Biden queen I'm, either, but I, I get Joe Biden. I hear I do, you, but I'm, but, I, but I'm actually, like, literally not a Joe Biden queen, even though I did really like when he, like, beat Obama to the punch on gay marriage. I thought that was fierce back in the day. Yes. And if he does win the nomination, I will obviously support him, but he's yes. not who I'm— He's not my first choice, but yeah. I will go for him. It's okay, comma. but like, yeah. Go but ahead. I didn't like when when Baby Julian Castro was like, "You just said this different thing two minutes ago." I was like, "No, he didn't." Oh, to Joe Biden. Yes, I know. It's such that a little cut thing. Throat. I was like, I was like, girl. Like, I, but, leave I, him alone. but I liked when he was do. I liked when he was cutthroating the other people. Uh-huh. I really did. And you know, here's the thing about Julian Castro that I like the most. What? If you close your eyes, <laughs> does he not sound like he could be Barack's brother? Sure. They have like that same sort of like soothing but booming BDE voice that's like yeah yeah you know I don't need to ever show you that because I'm like happily married and like I don't you know I'm very professional and like Juliana is a great uh, candidate and he's super overlooked because of uh, you know so many reasons and and who we try to you know who we put on a pedestal but I I, I'm really glad that there are so many people running for office that are clear headed I cut you off I have to but please no so but your top three is no I was gonna say uh, we actually have top four I have baby Biden I'm so whoops 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 I mean, sorry, sorry. Baby, baby Lizzie. Yes. Um, uh, baby Bernie. Yes. Baby Julian and baby Biden. 
That's your top four. That's my top four. Okay, I love that. You know, I'm just going to put it out there. I am, you know, and I am, I would, I, I think that's a, to- a solid top four. I want to give room for that little baby Pete to like continue oh, to, to continue to like figure it out. Like I, I'm supporting, but you know who I think a really dark horse is? And I know that people like are get so mad when I say this. Cause like we can't have another slip, but I like certain things that Marianne Williamson says. I know sure. it's controversial, sure. but I like where she's coming from with the whole, like it's going to take a bigger thought, a right. bigger thought or a bigger notion or a bigger idea right. than Cause like, cause Donald Trump is bigger than a person. He is like right. a state of mind. He's like an, he's like a phenomenon. These, all these wonderful people who are running need to figure out how to like, we need all of you. Yeah. What's our MAGA? What's our way to, Oh yeah. That was the literal question that I was going to fucking ask you. And then we can leave. Okay. Okay. Okay, so I'm do, I've been doing this commercial with Thomas's English muffins, and it's okay. like, what's your in, in your perfect morning? What is like your perfect morning? Mine always involves building a time machine to either fix the 1998 Nagano Olympics or the 2016 election. Okay, because um, I want my bitch Michelle Kwan to have a gold medal, and it really, you know, it's yeah. whatever. She's got five world ones, but like, whatever. Yeah. Um, I just really was like going for that. I'm not over Nagano yet. We might have to edit this out because it's like it's it, not over. It was. It's continuing to upset me that like even now that I have like a close personal friendship with her, it's not assuaging that for me at all. It's only intensifying it. Right. Right. Um, like my my feeling scorned over 98 because she's actually even like more of an amazing person and friend in real life than I could have ever even imagined. So it's like, I'm wow. so happy for you. Me too, to be <laughs> honest. But in your perfect world, like mm-hmm. if, if we could wake up on November 7th, uh, 2020, which I think is the day of the election or the six, whatever the election day is, what do you think is the strategy to like building a winning coalition to elect a leader and not only a leader, but a Senate majority and a House majority and more state House and Senate's so that we can really like ensure the future of equality and immigration reform and and criminal justice reform. What do you think the platform is? What do you think it would take in that perfect world to get that to happen? In the perfect in in our in a perfect world, we would need voting rights restored um, is huge because most most people um, that we can we that whose votes we rely on aren't even allowed to vote. Um, So I would say restoring voting rights would be like my number one. That's it. it. No, it's so great. That's all it's I really got. good. I mean, we, we're starting to see that Vote a little bit in Florida. Vote Elizabeth Warren 2020. Um, I love that. And I love your glasses so much. <laughs> Thank I wouldn't you. need to show this on some Instagram content. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Diane Guerrero. And get the book. Get Follow you on the gram. Is there and where what is there anything that you're doing like RN that you really want people to know about? I am. I'm on a show that I already did a first season of called Doom Patrol. It's on DCUniverse.com and it's gonna be on HBO Max, but I play a fucking superhero, badass, crazy Jane. She deals with mental health issues and she also has different superpowers that match her different personalities because she has split personality disorder. HBO Max, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, People I'm, better recognize me for the fucking Emmys next year. Uh, you see that my true colors come out. I love your colors. They're beautiful. But Thank I can't you. wait to see the show. And I really feel like HBO Max is going to be like a threat to this competition. I'm really excited to see their <laughs> slew of offerings that they're bringing out. So, Diane Guerrero, thank you so much for your time. Let's go make some content. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Diane Guerrero. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoy our show, introduce a friend. Tell someone, tell anyone you know. Just, yeah, spread the word. Uh, we love you so much, and we so appreciate you coming back and continuing to listen and supporting our show. Um... We just love you so much. So thank you so much. And to our team, Getting Curious is produced by me, 
Emily Bosick is our amazing producer on Getting Curious, and she also runs our Curious with JV and social accounts. We love you, Emily. Julie Creo, Ray Ellis, Harry Nelson, Cody Ziegler, and Colin Anderson. Thank you so much, everyone, uh, for listening. See you next time. Hey, hey.